Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. In this period, it's about relationship of mindfulness and concentration to uh, technology. So these practices that we're doing, even the sitting practice, the walking practice we did, and what's the connection and how is that um, helpful? (coughs) So first, just to review, so what is mindfulness itself? So mindfulness is actually bringing this quality of presence, uh, bringing attention to whatever it is that's in your experience, and bringing attention in a way that just clearly sees what is actually happening. So without a level of judgment or interpretation, Uh, of just knowing what it is that's actually happening in the present moment. So we could be mindful of anything that arises through our different sense doors. And in the Buddhist teachings, there's actually six sense doors. So you could pay attention to what arises in the field of sight, the field of hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, just through the body. So those are the usual five sense doors that you know. And then the sixth sense door is uh, the mind. So the mind itself is a sense door. So just as the eye receives uh, sights, so as long as you have, you're conscious and there's a working eye and there's a visual sight, then there will be seeing. Right? As long as you're uh, conscious and you have eardrums at work and there's a sound, then there will be hearing that arises. And so on through the different sense doors. And then actually it's with the mind, it's true also. So the Buddha identified the mind simply as another sense door through which we receive thoughts, uh, memories, plan, planning impressions, images. Right? So actually the mind itself is just a sense door that receives all of these different uh, sensory inputs, which are actually thoughts, images, etc. Now from those thoughts, images, etc. is where we oftentimes invest a lot and build a world. So we create a world, and we don't always see that what we're doing is creating or building a world. So meaning that in we, when we taste something, we can usually taste that, and then that kind of moves into the level of thought, and we might think about it, like, oh, this tastes like something that I had before, I wonder if there's cinnamon in it, I wonder if this, that, right? So the taste itself, we usually know <coughs> that we're tasting something, but the thoughts, we don't always know that we're thinking. So we get swept away in the field of thought without realizing that what we're doing is thinking. So, for example, when you were walking back and forth, you might have found uh, periodically that you got lost in thought, right? Like daydream about something, like something that you saw, or maybe even just a memory that came up for you, right? So how many people had that experience? You noticed that, yes. Very good. (laughs) Good that you noticed that, yes. Uh, And it's actually fine. It's just the mind, you know, having a thought, noticing a thought, uh, in the same way that you might notice the wind and feel that in your skin and so on. But we don't always know that it's just a thought that's come through. And so then, basically, what happens is we kind of get on that thought train, whatever that thought train is, and uh, follow it down the track to wherever that might lead, uh, unconsciously, basically. Right? Uh, and then we end up being wherever that thought train is, and then like come back to, you know, well, where we are, and then refocus again. So this is basically the process of getting distracted in some ways, right? So any number of different thoughts arise, and we basically like the 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 unmindful, uh, unwise mind basically gets on every thought train that pulls into the station, right? And then ends up wherever it ends up. And so this is also how it is that we end up being distracted in our life or 
how we might end up as um, some people described, like I start reading, reading this on the web and then I get bored of that, so then I jump to this and then I jump to this and then I jump to this, you know. So it's just the function of uh, how the mind, the distracted mind just works and then how it kind of gets played out. So as we actually develop mindfulness, and then in conjunction with developing mindfulness, develop actually some amount of focus or concentration or collectedness, it actually allows us to have much more choice about what it is that we're going to be paying attention to. So these different thoughts then arise, and we actually can know, like, oh, okay, this is a thought that's arisen. And then we can actually have some ability to uh, consciously choose, do I want to get on this thought train and go down the tracks? Or is this one that I just want to like, let go of and ignore? So this is true in the level of thought, uh, and then it plays out basically in the level of uh, dealing with emails or dealing with texts or dealing with um, surfing the web or something like that, right? So the level of concentration and mindfulness that you have in your in general is the level that you will be able to apply to engaging with technology. So the simple and ancient tools of like the sitting meditation and the walking meditations are actually a way to uh, basically increase your uh, ability to be more mindful and to be more collected and concentrated, basically just by practice, by coming back, by coming back, by coming back, right, develops this collectedness. And it's very simple, but it actually is also uh, incredibly powerful. So some societal symptoms of our distractedness, I think, are like, uh, and parts of that we're still trying to learn how to manage is like, if you're having a conversation with someone or having dinner with them, and then in the meantime, like they're getting various texts and buzzes and messages and stuff, right? And they feel compelled, or you feel compelled, or we feel compelled to constantly be checking that and engaging with that, right? Uh, and it doesn't make for a very satisfying and intimate uh, engagement, right, with that person, because it feels like, oh, there's something else that's more important, or you're in the middle of telling them some like really hard thing that happened to you, and they're like, oh, wait, right. Uh, it doesn't make you feel that special, right? <laughs> it's hard to, to have some continuous conversation, right? And it's not to say that that isn't, you know, you could never do that. So sometimes someone can tell you before you sit down to a meal, like, oh, I might get a text from my um, mom about, you know, our, my grandfather who's dying or, you know, whatever. Right? I might get something, you know, I might, I might have taken one call from work, right? Um, but that's different. That's actually making a conscious choice about it as opposed to, like, every time my device... Um, taps me on the shoulder, I will do something about it. Right. So similarly, like, I think we, uh, the untrained mind and the, when we are uh, kind of un, um, uh, undisciplined about it, we deal with e- email in this way too. Right? So you could reflect on what is my relationship to email. So I think we're still kind of figuring this out. And um, the way most people deal with email, they have their email box open all the time if they're you know, someone who uses a computer at work. And then whenever an email comes up, they read it, and then they do, do something with it. Or sometimes they read it, and then they put it back, and they, you know, closed and to deal with it later. So this is kind of akin to if um, you're sitting there doing some work, and then someone threw, actually physically threw a piece of crumpled paper at your head. Right? And then you stop what you were doing, and you pulled up the piece of paper, and then you unsmoothed it, and you read what it said, and then you did something with it. Or maybe you, you recrumpled it and put it down there, right? Then you started to do your work again, and then someone else threw another crumpled paper at your head, and then you quickly wanted to get that one, smooth it out, see what it says, do something about it, or else recumple it and put it back, right, et cetera, et cetera. So when you, when you want to start it that way, it just seems a little ridiculous, right? But that's basically what we're doing when we're sitting there uh, you know, with the email box open all the time, and then 
responding, relating, de- dealing with everything as it comes in, right? Um, as opposed to maybe having a sort of inbox like this, you know, <laughs> in which the crumpled papers, you know, accumulate. <laughs> and then at some point you decide to sort of deal with them and then hopefully, you know, uh, deal with them in a more efficient way, right? And then you're able to actually do some work in some period of time, right? So what is our relationship to these different um, devices that we have and to our relationship to the incoming messages and so on, right? And it's not, some people have a job in which that's what they have to do, right? So it's not to say, like, that's always the wrong way to deal with it, but what I'm advocating is, like, developing a more conscious way of uh, dealing with our technology and with emails and so on. So mindfulness and concentration also is very helpful for us um, in general in life because it basically gives you more um, pictures about what is actually happening. Right? So this is helpful also in being aware of your own intentions and emotions. Um, like if you think about anything that you've actually done that you regret in your life, um, it could be actually something small like, oh, I shouldn't have yelled at that guy or I shouldn't have sent that email that was like a little bit snarky or uh, even like, oh, I should have actually responded you know, I should have responded sooner to this person, or I sh- actually should have um, uh, called this person who's not doing so well and asked them, you know, what, how they are, right? Uh, or it could be a larger thing, like I shouldn't have drunk so much, I shouldn't have, you know, broken that thing, or right, any number of things, right? So how does that happen? Like, why do we do things that we later regret? So one thing is that in the moment, we're not actually able to be as present. We're not able to actually see the pattern as it's playing out until like after it's already played out, right? After it's played out, we're like, oh, dope, should have done that, or dope, shouldn't have done that, right? So I use a glass of water again for this analogy. It's like uh, with mindfulness and concentration, if it's, say if it's like relatively low, like you basically get like three pictures of this glass of water here. Picture number one, glass of water is on the table. Picture number two, glass of water is like halfway in midair. Picture number three, glass of water is shattered on the ground, all wet. Right? So if basically all you got is those three pictures, you're like, wow, that just, it just happened. It happened so quickly. And there was like almost no chance to do something about it. It was just like, it was there, and then it was midair, and then it was gone. Right? That's all you get. Right? But supposing you got actually like 50 pictures of this glass of water. So it was like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, et cetera, right, all the way down, right? So you actually got like 25 pictures of it going down. There are actually 25 different opportunities for you to actually intervene in some way and like catch it or put a towel down or call for help or, you know, whatever you do in these circumstances that seems appropriate, right? Because you actually got more, uh, you get more pictures, you get more information there. And now if something happens like this, if a glass of water falls, you actually do have this variety of different pictures. So what happens to the intervening, like, 47 pictures if you only got three, right? Like, where did they go? So oftentimes what happens is basically we're lost in distraction, right? You see the glass on the table. It seems not particularly important or unusual. So then you kind of go into daydreams. It's like, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch today. You know, then suddenly you see it in midair, picture number two, So you've already missed like 10 pictures while you were daydreaming about it, right? You see it in midair, and they're like, oh no, the glasses, I wonder what I should do about it. I feel like I've seen a movie about this somewhere. What do people, you know, right? So meanwhile, it still is falling, and then it's broken, right? So uh, in between, we're actually not able to be present with what's actually happening. We're living in our world of thoughts, right? So as you develop more mindfulness and concentration, you actually get more of these pictures back. As you're actually able to be more present, and know what's the difference between like our imaginary world of thought and what's actually happening. Right? 
So thinking is not bad. Um, there's nothing wrong with thinking, as long as you know that that is actually what's happening, right? Like thinking is actually very powerful and very useful things can come from it, right? And also, there's a lot of thought that is actually uh, not helpful for us to engage with. There's plenty of thoughts that are not helpful to engage with. There are plenty of thoughts that are, if you will, spam. (laughs) We've not developed our spam filters on our thoughts very well, right? (laughs) It is very good to actually uh, cultivate the technology, mindfulness and concentration of actually developing your spam filter to a higher and higher degree, right? It will make your internal mental inbox like much cleaner and easier to deal with, right? So it takes practice. Like it actually takes practice to, to learn how to do this and to develop this. And uh, in the time that you're practicing, many times there will be like any number of broken, you know, glasses on the floor and whatever. And like, don't worry about that because that's all part of the practice of learning, of developing, right? Of trying to um, to understand and get the picture. Now, what are the kinds of thoughts that are actually spam? So, what are the thoughts that you might want to like weed out uh, from? Uh, actually paying attention to or going down that road. So maybe I'll ask you if you have any any thoughts about that. What are spam thoughts? I feel like I'm always planning. Ah, okay. Um, and say a little bit more about that. Like, why is it not so helpful in that? Um, well, I feel like it's, it's very bad to, like, use time, which sort of ironically thinking it's very bad to use time poorly or to waste time or to think about things conflicting and so always planning like well like strategizing about when I'll do things in the future and how I'll stack all of those things up together uh-huh <laughs> and so it feels like an, an unuseful use of time in that particular case for you it can, it can be useful yeah but it's unuseful when it happens without being conscious of it or something too yeah much. yeah 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 exactly so so there's there's plan there's certain amount of planning that is actually helpful so for example if you'd like to get on an airplane and go somewhere, it, unless you're extremely wealthy and can just go up the counter and buy you know, a ticket in the moment, it is actually helpful to plan and be like, oh, okay, I want to go from here to there. What are the dates? Buy the ticket, right? But you actually only have to do that once, right? <laughs> so, but you know, you could notice in your mind when you do that like 500 times in your mind or when you engage with that pattern like over and over and over and over again um, before actually really doing it, like making that decision. Also, sometimes we engage in planning in a way that is uh, sort of, um, let me try and solve all scenarios that might happen planning. And the truth is that like life is unpredictable, and there are a lot of scenarios that you actually won't know what to do with, or you won't be able to predict. Right? Uh, and the mind that is, uh, this is kind of like the best strategy of the unenlightened mind to deal with life, is like, let me try and figure out and plan everything and like um, put it all together so that will like save me from anything bad ever happening to me in my life. And it's really like not a winning strategy because there's so many unpredictable things that can happen. It's actually very difficult to plan it all out and figure it all out. So noticing the mind that's like trying to plan things all the time in a way that has a sort of obsessive quality to it or that has this sort of like unproductive cyclical quality to it is one of the thoughts that is helpful to be like, okay, I'll let go of this, or, you know, I'll plan when it's a good time to plan, and then otherwise I'll be like, okay, let me think about that later. Right. I'll deal with that later. So put it on the shelf, right? Put it into a folder, if you will. Right. What else are thoughts that might be spam? You might, might be helpful to filter out. Um, maybe anger about past stuff, that's, you know, little loops you get in your head. 
Yeah, so sometimes... Uh, yeah, sometimes there's a process in which, like, the mind is like there's a there's a uh, revisiting of memories and going through with you know emotional content and things like that. And with that, it's actually helpful to know like how to relate to that in some ways, right? Like to best know how to relate to that. And usually, what happens is we get caught in the story over and over again of this like they did this and then I did this and they're going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I should have done this but they should have said this, right? And we do that like over and over and over again. And it actually is like not very productive, right? So it actually is helpful to attend to those thoughts, but to attend to them in a different way. And the different way is actually in trying to pay attention to also that emotional content that's there, uh, minus getting caught in the story over and over again. So actually being able to bring mindfulness and attention to actually noticing what that energy of the anger or whatever the hurt, the sadness is, and being present with that, and sort of allowing that energetically to play out, but also knowing it's there. So when you know it's there, then you actually can have some choice about how to respond to it versus reacting from it. So oftentimes something like that might come through, and then through reactivity we might like do and say things from it, but then later we like think like, oh, that wasn't the best thing to say. I could have done something better there. But if we're actually aware of it and we can feel it and know it's there, then we actually have the possibility to respond, not to react. Right? So this is also the gift of mindfulness, is to have more space in that way. Right? What else do you think? Spam. Doubt? Doubt, yeah. Say a little bit more about that one. Um, how when it comes into the mind, it just... It can escalate further and further into fear and, and being totally moving into the future instead of being present now. Yeah, yeah. And there's several versions of doubt. There could be like self-doubt, like, oh, I can't do that or I shouldn't, you know, who am I to think I can do this or something, and then just doubt in general, like not knowing, right? Uh, and my favorite analogy around this is like the, the story of um, someone who goes into a cave and paints a picture of a tiger and then looks at the picture of the tiger and goes, ah, tiger, and runs out of the cave, right? Like, uh, afraid, right? Uh, and actually, there was no tiger, right? <laughs> actually, uh, you painted that picture of the tiger yourself, right? <laughs> so then actually what happens with doubt is like, oh, we paint this picture in our mind of, you know, sort of fears or doubt, or like, oh, I wonder if this might happen, that might happen, and then spend a lot of time, like, getting scared about it and um, running away and, you know, uh, but it's not actually happening. I mean, that's the helpful thing to know is like, this is not actually happening, right? <laughs> this is actually thought. So here's where being able to be aware of thought as thought, just knowing like, okay, this is a thought, you know, is very helpful. Uh, and, you know, if it's something that it's like, oh, okay, uh, you know, I don't know if they have, uh, I don't know if they have, they sell food at the retreat center. Maybe I should bring some food. I'm not sure if I should bring some food. Then you can decide like, bring the food or not bring the food, but you don't have to paint great pictures of how you're dying of hunger at the end of the day and, you know, crawling back to the car and, you know, (laughs) all this stuff, right? It's like, you know, skip the drama. Just, like, do what's helpful or, you know, let it go. Yeah. Guilt? Guilt? Yeah. I I think that's not usually a helpful emotion unless it helps you to realize what you could do in the future to improve. But, like, people who feel guilty about eating fattening food or feel guilty about something they should have done, you know, it's usually not helpful. Yeah, so, you know, in the, the, the teachings, there's sort of like these categories of, like, 
wholesome and unwholesome, different kinds of thought. And um, guilt is one version of it that has a sort of sense of self in it that actually isn't considered so helpful. Um, but then there's another version of it that is sort of remorse um, that can be helpful. That's just the part about seeing like, oh, what was wise and skillful or what was unwise about what just happened and like trying to learn from that and then using that to do it differently the next time, right? Um, but the kind of constant self-flagellation part of it is the part that's like not the train to get on, not the helpful train to get on, right? So any number of this, you could see like the spam filter will be very busy actually, right? <laughs> catching many of these different things, right, and working with them in different ways. Um, and it's really helpful to develop this, right? So here's where the practice is super helpful. And, um, uh, you know, many people had mentioned this about, like, well, when I wake up, the first thing is, like, oh, I want to go check my email. Or I want to check, um, see if anyone texted me. I want to check Facebook or something, right? So, of course, as a meditation teacher, I think the drive for connection is a positive one, but we're logging into the wrong thing. You know, you're actually logging into the wrong thing by going to the external website or email box. So first thing is to practice actually logging in right here, right? Like log into your heart, log into your mind, log into your body, right? <laughs> first place to log in in the morning is like check in, like okay, like what's going on here, feeling what's there, like emotions, thoughts, body get a sense of it. And that kind of sets the tone then also. That like gives you a good grounding for then when you actually do check into these other things, being able to be continue to be present with your uh, responses, reactions, body, etc. Like that. Right. So mindfulness, concentration, and the, the uh, availability of information now is uh, huge. And it both is an amazing, beautiful thing, but it also is something that is conducive to distraction, I would say, too. Um, so that's what we're also like, we have to sort of manage like our relationship to uh, even the ability to access different kinds of information, right? And notice the mind as it moves towards different kinds of information versus uh, being sort of more steady. So it's like noticing the quality of mind as the mind is moving, right? So the quality of mind is even then, you know, sort of transmitted to like what we're doing with our fingers, which then allows another sort of input. So, yeah. Can you um, say a little bit about how, how, how you separate mindfulness and concentration? Yeah. I'm implicit in what you're saying. But, um. Yeah, so concentration is, is a quality of the, they're both different qualities of the mind, right? So concentration is the collectedness, actually, right? So, so being able to um, basically gather and focus the energies of our mind and body in some ways. And it's something that we do naturally in a number of different activities, so it's not unique to meditation. So even something as simple as like, um, you know, taking a fork and putting it on a piece of food and putting it in your mouth requires some concentration, right? Like if you're not, if you're distracted, you might miss the food or miss your mouth possibly or, you know. Um, and, and again, you see like little kids learning how to do this, right? But then after you've trained for a while, you get more, you get better at that, right? Um, and obviously, I'm actually going back to playing basketball now. I played basketball in high school and I rejoined a basketball team. And uh, I see that there's this uh, importance also of focus, right? Like, like being able to both, you can have concentration focus, like being able to hold the broader spectrum of what's happening. But then also, like when you're actually going to shoot, you have to like focus and really see the basket and, you know, focus on that, right? And people who are good basketball players can like shift their focus, uh, like at the appropriate time in that way. And I see people who are really good basketball players, like I'm all up, you know, waving my hands and jumping around, and they're just like completely focused on the basket. 
and they just shoot, right? And it helps that I'm only five foot three, so they probably don't have to worry about me that much, right, when I'm shooting. But still, you know, I'm blocking them. But, but still, like, you can see it's the quality of focus. You know, it's the quality of concentration, like being able to collect, right? And then it's coupled with this being present, right? Like the, the mindfulness is actually the sense of presence, like awareness in the present moment, like knowing what's actually here, right? Uh, so that's kind of the two of them. Now, concentration, oftentimes people have taken to be like, oh, I need to concentrate, like I need to bear down, I need to, you know. And that often leads to a more um, of a, a tenseness that's actually not helpful. So actually, a, a precondition for concentration is kind of a, the relaxedness and the focus, so both those things. So it's not actually a tension or like a bearing down. Like that makes it very difficult to sustain in anything. Right? Uh, so for many people, if you think about an activity that you really like, uh, there often is some sense of concentration involved in that activity, right? There's a sense of being able to focus in that activity, whether it's um, like playing a sport or whether it's um, like doing art or playing music or uh, even actually like some other, you know, stuff on the technology, like actually playing a video game or something. Sometimes there's a very directed focus to actually doing this one thing and it allows you to actually... Uh, let go of a lot of distraction and just do this one thing for the moment, which is a very satisfying experience for us as human beings, right, to actually be collected. So in mindfulness, it's actually being able to bring that level of um, focus and then applying it to the present moment, to whatever's happening in the present moment, right? Uh, So there are other kinds of meditation you can do where you actually develop concentration, say, on a certain sound or on a certain word or something like that. Uh, but you're not actually um, then able to apply that as well in your regular life because it's like only when I have my eyes closed and I'm saying that mantra or, you know, when I'm imagining that image, right? So something like that. Yeah. Well, can I ask a question or actually explain how I discern the two? Yeah. Maybe you can confirm if I'm getting this right. Sure. So, for example, I, I look at concentration as you're talking about mindfulness and I'm concentrating on what you're saying, processing the information, understanding it, and, you know, um, trying to remember parts of it. Whereas the way I see mindfulness is just knowing that I'm listening to you talk about mindfulness. Uh-huh. I'm actually listening, I'm here, yeah. I'm listening to you, and that's mindfulness, right. and not the actual processing. Is that correct? Yeah, that sounds right to me. Yeah, that sounds right. So kind of both are important, right? Like some amount, developing some amount of, um, of ability to focus, to collect, right? And also just to know what is, even just to know what, like, what is the quality of mind that's more focused versus distracted, right? Uh, and you know, like I was saying about these different like neural pathways and basically how uh, whatever we practice tends to develop that. Like notice how if you practice distraction, then there's more distractedness in your life, right? And if you practice more, focus, then there's more focus in your life. So actually, each time that we are able to let go of some distraction, we're actually practicing collectedness, concentration more. Uh, So each time that, say, you're doing something and then some thought arises like, oh, I should check out this website, and you're like, I'll do that later. Like, okay, that's like actually a step towards collectedness. But then when you're like, oh, I'll follow that one, I'll follow that one, you know, then you're kind of like all over the place, uh, and it's much more difficult to... um, be collected even when you want to be collected. So also in the spaciousness, like if our spam filters get strong, and if we're actually able to be uh, collected, mindful, it leaves much more spaciousness in the mind, right? 
like it actually leaves much more spaciousness in our mind, which is another argument away from the idle chatter thing, right? And in that spaciousness of mind is actually the possibility for all kinds of like creativity and um, interesting new things to arise that when we're constantly occupying ourselves with like taking in things or being distracted, uh, we kind of don't allow that to bubble forth, to come forth. So cultivating these practices also uh, in meditation and then also in the way that we deal with technology actually opens ourselves up much more for a spaciousness that allows for creativity, for innovation, um, for new and interesting things to actually come forth. And it's kind of counter to the way that uh, society is driving us and in which we're trained, which is to actually consume as much as possible. Like there's kind of like the information is endless, I should consume as much as possible. Uh, Like there's so much available and I should do as much as possible. So actually just sitting quietly is like kind of countercultural, right? And it seems like it's kind of a waste of time, right? but it actually is, I think, the thing that actually helps whatever it is that is new and innovative to kind of move through you. Right? Uh, so I'm a big fan of like doing nothing for periods of time, <laughs> practicing doing nothing, right? Doing nothing as an extremely powerful force for innovation. And, uh, you know. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, people don't have meditation practice, but some, you know, they're like the shower. That's my time. You know, that's my time when they actually are able to ac- access a sort of relaxedness and, you know. Um, spaciousness, because that's the only time they'll let themselves not have to be like doing something, you know. Uh, but you can actually train yourself to have uh, some access to that uh, spaciousness, uh, even when you're not in the shower, <laughs> you know, like in different times. So uh, you don't have to only go to the shower for that. You can have more freedom and spaciousness of mind. So, other questions, comments? So notice your relationship to technology. Like, notice your relationship to technology around um, collectedness, particularly. Collectedness versus distractedness. Like, I think that is a key place to look in the way that we deal with, for example, our uh, incoming messages, how we deal with our email, even how we deal with, like, uh, services like Twitter or uh, Facebook. So I have a coaching client who um, is uh, kind of re-engaging in a field, and she's, like... uh, follows a lot of different Twitter feeds, she told me. And she's finding it very overwhelming because it's like the information and the articles and stuff are endless. And, you know, she's trying to figure out, like, well, how much should I engage with this and read this stuff? And then what do I do with it? And uh, it's like a waterfall. It's like a, you know, giant waterfall of information. And then she says she has this anxiety when she doesn't engage with it that, like, I'm missing something. Like, I'm missing some important piece of information that otherwise would change the way I'm doing something, or I'll miss something that like, uh, will not allow me to be informed. Uh, but then she's noticed that there's actually no space for her to actually create anything or do anything, because she's just consuming, just consuming, just consuming, right? Um, so there's a way in which we also need to pay attention to that balance, uh, and understand for each person it's different, sort of like, well, what's a, a way in which I can create some space for both the consumption, but then also the digestion, if you will? the digestion. So in one of the articulations of the precepts um, that I like from um, Thich Nhat Hanh, he talks about uh, not just paying attention to intoxicants that we take in, like drink and drugs, 
but also paying attention to information that we take in and media that we take in uh, and sort of creating a diet for a healthy society and community right? and for a healthy life. So noticing the TV programs that we watch and the movies and uh, you know, nowadays it's also the news sources that we take in. Right? Uh, and what does that do? Like, What's a healthy diet look like for me? Like, How much news do I need to follow? Right? How often do I need to find out what's happening in the world? Uh, and for different people, that's different also. So you might be in a field in which that has to be much higher than someone else does, right? Um, so it's someplace for us all individually to pay attention and then to be very honest with ourselves about what seems to be true. Right? As well, it's like the question of like, well, what's balance? Like, where's the point of balance? Right? And there's a way in which we're all, always seeking balance, but it's good to attend to what our drive is for that balance, because sometimes we have this idea, like, I'm going to find the point of balance, and then I'm going to, like, plant my flag there, and I'm going to live there. And that's going to be where I'll stay, and I'll be balanced for the rest of my life. Right? Uh, and that would be great if that was possible. <laughs> but in an ever-changing world, <laughs> uh, there actually is no such place. Yeah. There's no such place. There's no such point. Uh, it's actually more like balancing on a surfboard, you know, in the water, when the waves are coming in different ways. And so there has to be a constant sort of adjustment. And movement because the water is moving and the winds are different and stuff like that. So then the thing that actually helps you come to balance is actually developing those skills that allow you to work on the surfboard, right, to be able to be there in that way. So that also, again, is like the mindfulness and concentration. So that's the best thing that you can do to to understand, like, well, what's the point of balance now? And what's the point of balance now? Is actually cultivate that ability to collect your attention and focus it and be present and then see, like, okay, what's happening right now? And then what's the appropriate thing to take, right? Appropriate action to take. So sometimes I I consider it analogous to, like, getting a map uh, in which all you get is the you are here button, you know. The dot is, like, you are here, right? So unfortunately, you don't get everything else in the map, but at least you get the you are here, right? So that's what mindfulness and concentration gets you. Like, that's when when you log into yourself, that's what you get is, like, you are here. All right, what's going on right now? Body, mind, heart. Okay. And then the next moment, and then the next moment, and the next moment. Right? So it's a very good practice to cultivate that. And that, in fact, is all that you can get. And the unenlightened mind spends a lot of time trying to map out from that you are here, like projecting into the future and projecting in the past and creating this sense of myself and all this stuff. And then based on that, I'm going to plan out everything to make my life perfect forever. Right? And it's a... a Poignant yet doomed strategy for success and happiness. You know? So watch the mind that is trying to do this. Like hold it with compassion because it's kind of its best unenlightened guess at what to do in this world in which you don't know what's going to happen. Um, but also disbelieve it. Right? <laughs> Take it with a grain of salt. Uh, so log in early and often right here. That's my uh, advice. And then that will allow you actually also when, you're, when you are engaged with technology to learn what it is like to actually cultivate the collectedness and to be able to use that in service of whatever you're doing uh, and actually in the service of your own cultivation of mind and heart too. So I will pause there. See if anyone has any questions, comments. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.